The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from The Other Side of Midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus... To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary... Based on well-verified references vetted through vigilance and discernment. Our desire, desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. With clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. Timothy Saunders. I am one of your co-hosts on this 36th edition of The Other Side of the News. I'm speaking to you this morning from a stormy southwest Turkey, which for many of you is situated on the other side of the globe. As the dawn chorus begins to warm up here, hopefully many of you are relaxing into a snug winter evening under a star-speckled sky. I will soon be joined by co-host and producer, Kintia, together with our co-host and researcher, Annette Driscoll, who are both speaking this evening from the wheelhouse near San Francisco. This show is entitled The Unusual Suspects. This week's news has been infected by excitement of countless politicians and other weak-minded puppets, such as TV program presenters, who seemingly reach some form of climax on air at the prospect of multiple vaccinations, which are at the brink of being made available to the first victims in multiple uh, countries. Regular listeners will already know our opinions based on our research, due diligence and first-hand accounts from numerous key guests do not support any form of celebration. Since we began this show some 36 weeks ago, this one event, the advent of this Frankenstein vaccination, has instinctively been in my sights as a milestone heralding a negative tipping point. However, for new listeners, or for people who have not yet quite managed to join the dots, according to numerous reliable sources from respected doctors and medical professionals, most of whom have been heavily censored, these COVID vaccines have been rushed out years before their time. Many employ experimental techniques that have never been previously used on human beings that may permanently alter our DNA. Most are filled with dangerous metals that would require a mandatory special cleanup procedure if used in industry. Not to mention the disgusting cocktails of synthesized human and animal disease extracts, which originate from aborted fetal tissue, colonies of bacteria, and worse. Further, some vaccinations employ a three-pronged needle, one injector, and two electrodes to stimulate activation. But activation of what? 
the vaccine itself, our cells, or perhaps the nanochips that have been co-developed alongside the male and female sterilization additives, most of which have been sponsored by the Gates of Hell Foundation. Limited surface trials have shown uncomfortable side effects, and there have been some reports of paralysis and even a death. Absurdly, we are told the vaccine does not necessarily mean life may resume to normal. It is likely masks, distancing and lockdowns may continue. While I choose to add a slight dramatic twist to these words, this is not intended to obscure the truth, but simply to draw attention to the point that many people will soon need to make a vital choice. To continue acquiescing like the proverbial simmering frog and accept the vaccine in succession from the unhealthy mask, the anti-social distancing, the pointless lockdowns and the strangulation of the economy, or to stand up for your health, your freedom and your sovereign rights for you and your offspring by simply refusing to be a test bunny for a noxious cocktail that has not yet been proven to protect anyone from an alleged virus which is based on an unproven science. If the coronavirus is truly a threat to mankind, then where are the victims to justify this pandemic? Why are the hospitals being guarded? Why are RT-PCR tests wound up circa 40 times to give unnatural false positive results? Why are the flu and selected other sickness numbers being fudged as COVID stats? Why does the UN WHO et al. attempt to dictate the same lockdown procedures in global lockstep when the citizens around our planet have so varied democratic, demographic fingerprints? Why are any opponents to COVID-19, vaccination and 5G ridiculed and censored? Why has the establishment become so aggressive in trying to desperately uphold this sham of a pandemic? Just a few questions. We've discussed these and many points more ad nauseum during previous shows. We have laid out many of the key milestones of this sordid journey and brought you guests repeatedly to validate this unfortunate narrative. We take no pleasure in continually highlighting this story. However, it is one which is impossible to ignore as it comes, as it continues to roll out like a script and yet, there are still so many people who prefer to seek comfort in playing by the often hypocritical regulations set out by the minority. Are they addicted to this unnecessary fear? Was for some other reason? Tonight, we discuss another important group of people who traditionally play a key role in society, who perhaps could not predict what they were originally signing up for who now find themselves caught up in the middle of this COVID pandemic, which according to some is the ramp to the fourth industrial revolution and the great economic reset. One traditional term for the police is the thin blue line, which refers to the concept of the police defining a delicate line which upholds a balanced society from descending into violent chaos. As much as the police may feel they are obliged to follow their orders, Surely they too are alert to what is really going on in the world. They must know about the huge protests that continue to be held each weekend around the world. They must be aware of the strict censorship of information that does not directly support the minority's objectives. They too have families. 
when the police take their first career steps, they each swear an oath. The oaths vary according to each country. However, here is an excerpt from the English oath. I, name and city, do solemnly and sincerely declare and affirm that I will well and truly serve the Queen in the office of constable with fairness, integrity, diligence, and impartially upholding fundamental human rights and according equal respect to all people. And that I will, to the best of my power, cause the peace to be kept and preserved and prevent all offenses against people and property. And that while I continue to uphold said office, I will, to the best of my skill and knowledge, discharge all the duties thereof faithfully according to law. These words no longer seem to match the armed, battle-ready police we see in the streets, airports and mainstream media. I do hope the police will carefully reconsider this oath with a view to uphold our fundamental human rights and respect our freedom with regards to lockdown measures and our choice concerning the COVID vaccinations. I very much look forward to hearing our guests' perspective regarding this essential awakening process, all with a view to eliminate the best path to lead us to a positive outcome. You may find us at www.theothersideofmidnight.com, click on the other side of the news in the drop-down menu, or kindly scroll down to tonight's white, the other side of the news show banner. There you will see details for this show, quick links to our bios, as well as links to our show items, references and selected research. As usual, there's a huge collection of information to read, watch and listen to, most of which has been handpicked from independent sources. I urge you to study them and even to download your own copies sooner than later, as censorship robots are working around the clock to rewrite our history in real time. As we positively encourage our listeners to co-create a better future, you will find a call-in telephone number below tonight's banner. If you have a relevant question or perhaps would like to share an important observation, please dial plus one if you're outside of North America, followed by 917-889-8802. You will come through to our sound engineer in the control tower, Keith Morgan, who will guide you to an appropriate entry into our conversation. We will take your calls during the last 30 minutes of this two-hour show after we have laid out the foundations of the discussion. During the last week, we've seen many remarkable events and headlines reported in the news. To discuss and present each topic in correct context would easily take up an entire show by itself. As the other side of this news is not, per se, a typical news show, and in order to make the best use of our available time, I believe we should plot a direct course to greet the rest of our team and to introduce our guests. Despite the initial unpleasant realization of the truth, you will see there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is an increasing number of respected journalists, writers, politicians, doctors, lawyers, influencers, and activists who are wide awake and are already making great impact. All they require from you is to unplug from the mainstream and social media propaganda, to make your own independent research and stop acquiescing. Stand up for what you believe in with respect to others. And Howard Lichtman, our guest, is such an individual. And I very much look forward to him joining us shortly. Good evening, Kintia. Good evening, Aneta. 
Do you know who will be inaugurated yet? <laughs> no, I don't think we'll know till January. This is Kinthea. Good evening, all. <laughs> Happy to be here with you. So, yeah, the controversy continues to rage. There are lots of links on this page concerning information around the election and its um, foul play. Annetta, you want to jump in? Oh, sure. I always have something to say about that kind of thing. Um, well, we've got a lot, of, a lot of things going on, but I think the most interesting is the extreme censorship. We've, had, we've seen censorship around so many things. We've seen censorship around all the medical, uh, censoring science. Science has been thrown out the window, under the bus, whatever you'd like to say. But now we see it with a blatant censorship on the, the political agenda front. And, you know, for me, I find it super irritating that there are things that come up in my news feed that I can't seem to control. I've tried shutting it off. I've tried all kinds of things. So that is constantly pumped out, yet the opposing information is, is shut down immediately, uh, checked by fact checkers within seconds. Really? I find that difficult to believe how you could check it within seconds. But anyway, all of that's going on. And I... I thought about this and and I was thinking about a quote that was from Benjamin Franklin. Uh, what he said was, whatever would overthrow the liberty of a nation must begin with the subduing of the freeness of speech. Most certainly this is what we're experiencing right now. And this is critically important. And it's really tied to what's going on with uh, our um, our police force and, and our peace officers also, because they're being forced to subdue people for um, being able to speak out. And so we're seeing this not just live and in person, not just on the social media, but even people amongst their, quote, friends amongst each other are censoring each other. This is a really bad situation we have. And I've noticed it a lot in this particular week. On the good side, what I've been noticing also at the same time is I've been able to talk to people because the the cover-up is so, everything is so egregiously, blatantly fraudulent at this point. Some of this is getting easier to talk about. People are going, hmm, scratching their heads going, oh, this really doesn't make sense. This really isn't right. So there's two sides to look at this, but that's where I am this week with it. So, I'd also uh, like to bring attention to what's happening with the vaccines. In my links, um, Del Bigtree talks about how Moderna, when they are uh, doing the tests on this vaccine, they are only counting those results 42 days after they take the test. In other words, they're giving two shots. The first shot, you know, thousands of people getting sick, they're not counting those. They're not monitoring those. Then the second shot, more people getting sick. They're not monitoring those. They don't start monitoring until 42 days after the first shot. So all those people who got sick in the first 41 days, they're not counted as part of the test. I mean, it's absurd. And then also in my links, there's um, one that's called, this is too important, and I'm Blanking on her name right now. I apologize, but she goes into the, the social. Hmm? The amazing Polly. The amazing Polly. That's it. Yes, the amazing Polly. She does a wonderful job 
covering the programming that uh, people succumb to simply because they want to be included in the group. So you see these different psychological tests, and I just have to describe one because it's it's priceless. So this woman is sitting in a doctor's office, and there are like 12 other actors with her, and a bell goes off, and they all stand up. And then they sit down, and she kind of looks around. Bell goes off again. Whoop, they stand up again. She looks around. Third time, the bell goes up. She stands up, okay? So now it continues, and each patient leaves the room. The bell is going off. The bell is going off. Now she's standing up every time. Now, here's the surprising part, is then the second group of people start coming in. They are not actors. They are real people, real patients. And she's the only one in the room. Now, will she stand up or will she not? So the bell goes off. And what does she do? She stands up. That's right. Makes no sense. She doesn't know why she's standing up. She stands up. First person comes. He watches her a few times. Then he starts standing up. Bottom line, at the end of it, they're like another 10 people. And they're doing exactly the thing. Standing up when the bell goes off. So what does this prove? That people are like Pavlov's dogs? I mean, it's really scary to think about that. Just just fall in line, fall in line, just be the one who follows, and then you can train the others to follow you because she didn't even know why she's doing it. But literally, she trained all the people who came into the office after her. So, you know, it's just shocking to me to watch how we as a species are so insecure to speak our mind, to stand for what we know is right, even when we know it's right. And, the, and she, Polly goes on to show other tests with the same kind of results. I won't go into them, but it's shocking. It's shocking. We could so quickly give away our freedom just because we want to be liked, because we want to be included. So... <laughs> wake up. It's time for us all to wake up because we know where that's headed. And I'm grateful that there are so many researchers speaking up and bringing this to light. I am so grateful for that. That gives me great hope. So that's what I wanted to add in there. And I check have a out. Comment. I have a comment ahead, on there. that whole thing, too, is that. You know, one of the things that's seemingly gotten buried in all of this that I'm sure Timothy will have a fair amount to say about also is that, you know, there's never been an, a virus isolated, yet we are creating a vaccine for a non-isolated virus. That should send up alarms everywhere for everybody that there's really foul play about. The other thing is that it seems to be forgotten that if someone takes a vaccine, supposedly they are immune to whatever they took the vaccine for. So why would they be so concerned that everybody must have a vaccine? After all, the people that are so concerned about it, they can have a vaccine and shouldn't be concerned that someone else hasn't. You know, if I want to get the, um, you know, the pandemic hoax, then it's my choice. I can do that. So this is, these things are things that people aren't even discussing. It's so... It's been so entrained in the brain that the new normal, blah, 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 the whole thing about the mask, all of that's going on. And people have actually 
become uh, desensitized to the to even the questions that they should be asking. Well, therein lies the uh, the issue that Kintia was just just underlying just now as well is is that when the people this this sort of group of people used as kind of uh, an extension of of the command uh, chain all they have to do is have a little sprinkling of fear just enough to uh, stop them asking questions that mixed in with a little bit of insecurity plus a little bit of guilt and then you have a recipe for disaster so if you actually wearing a mask and you believe you're wearing it for two reasons firstly for your own safety because it's you know a scary world if you don't wear a mask which allows it can be compared to a tennis wire uh, tennis fence and mosquitoes flying through it sort of covid particles going through a a mask um matrix but if 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 they can make you feel like you're wearing it for other people for the safety of other people and if they make you feel guilty if you don't wear it and they make you feel insecure if you don't wear it and you have to conform then voila you have the recipe of disaster and i think this is what people just need to wake up and smell the coffee and take the stupid things off and uh you know this week i i was listening to a number of a number of sources i mean literally it, it's it's a long week there's so many sources i read and listen to through the week but the mask seems to be starting the a wave of bacterial pneumonia which apparently even by dr fauci himself at one point earlier in his career stated was the real cause behind the the great spanish flu of 18 uh, sorry 1918 to uh, 1919 it was not so much a cause of the flu it, it was actually a fact mask wearing and the vaccination that was the cause of that uh pandemic so it's it's very interesting to see how history repeats itself that the mask is actually the cause the catalyst of sickness as opposed to preventing you know the cause of actually causing this flu this whole idea of the flu being this terrible you know secret invisible killer i mean flus don't kill people they they, they never do flus something which we all get it's part of our natural cycles through life and other things uh will will bring us down or you know reduce the power of our immune system and one of those things is pneumonia bacterial pneumonia and i think this is something we all need to be very aware of i think one child's uh mask again i don't know who don't know where didn't know the control conditions and so on but it was reported i thought fairly reliably that a child's mask was taken off and examined in laboratory conditions after wearing it for i don't know exactly how long but i mean a mask is not good after 2 hours let's hope it was less than 2 hours but in this one mask there were 82 colonies of bacteria found and something like uh, uh two other things in there you, you really wouldn't want to have anywhere near your mucous membranes or your mouth or your nose or your eyes and so on yet this thing is you know strapped around this child's face um so these masks are not something this is not a way to be smart it's not a way to be safe it's not a way to you know help other people it's absolutely a symbol of subservience and in my opinion it it just 
it, it's just a symbol to tell the world that you have, in fact, switched off your brain completely. And uh, I just wish people take them off and never put them on again. So that's just my thought there, Annetta. So I want to talk about the schmutz muzzle a little bit. Um, we've talked about it before in many shows. Actually, way back, uh, we had a show on, on masks, and nothing has changed. They're, they still reduce the oxygen. They still raise the cortisol level, which shuts down the immune system. It still damages the brains of children. It's low oxygen. It causes elevated cortisol levels, which changes the brain development, which you know, makes the... Uh, extended periods of time, which we now have with these massive children, they have uh, their amygdalas are more developed um, than the frontal cortex area. I mean, it really, it's, it's very, very serious. So people need to understand, especially parents with children, you're really, really damaging your child by having this. And this damage is not temporary in, in many cases. So um, it's not surprising that we find a bacteria-laden schmutz muzzle. You know, it's really the, these things uh, that we had a um, PDF of Dr. Vernon Coleman up that has 155 studies showing all the different things that they're causing physically the damage, including eye diseases, gum diseases, dentists. I mean, everything that you can imagine is it's very these things are very, very detrimental. So I just wanted to reiterate that. And I'll add the PDF to this show as well. So. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce Howard Lichtman, who is the co-founder and executive director of the ThickRedLine.org. That's ThickRedLine.org. Howard Lichtman is the founder of Thick Red Line Project. He is the president of the Human Productivity Lab, a consultancy that helps world-class distributed organizations learn and collaborate at speed of light. He has been arrested three times in 2020 for victimless crimes, wasting his time, police resources, and taxpayer monies. The Thick Red Line Project came out of discussions with sheriffs, deputies, and police officers that didn't want to be enforcing victimless crimes or raising revenue on their friends and neighbors for politicians. Welcome to the other side of the news, Howard. Good to have you here. Thank you, Cynthia. <laughs> it's so, good to be with you and your audience. Oh, yeah, we have a great audience. They are sharp. They are razor sharp. Well, one of the things that I want to point out that I was so moved in looking at the Corbett Report, which is your link, I have that in your links there, is that, you know, most of the researchers that I see out there, including our show sometimes, we're spending a lot of time uh, in opposition to what we consider the dark forces, and that's reasonable, However, you have identified the police officers as peace officers in the sense that instead of seeing them as adversaries, you're embracing them and welcoming them into being humanly conscious, you know, considerate of their constituents. And 
I think that that is so powerful. It's so powerful because when we're at odds with someone, they're just going to continue fighting. You want to speak a little more how this all came about? And oh, by the way, I'm sorry, we are just about at break. Maybe we should pick this up on the other side of the break in just a moment. You're listening to The Other Side of the News. The show tonight is... (laughs) Having a brain freeze moment. The Unusual Suspects. (laughs) That's our show. And co-host Timothy Saunders, Annette Driscoll, and myself, Kinthea. side of the news, quality conversations, quality information, and always food for thought. says, am I being selfish? And I said, absolutely, but I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for my grandchildren and my grandchildren's children. I see the loss of rights and freedoms. I've lived long enough to know what's happening here and I cannot stand back and simply comply. I'm gonna resist those measures with everything that I have, uh, emotionally, psychologically, physically, legally, cannot allow our rights and freedoms to be taken from us. We have to stand up for them. This is where I say that we have to become adults. We have to stand up for our rights and freedoms. We can't ask for them. We have to demand that they be honored and respected. Masking is part of the strategy of totalitarian tiptoe. We just keep encroaching on you and it's just a little bit worse than it was yesterday. And most people don't see it, but we see it. And that's why this program and the work that you guys are doing is so important. Ted Kuntz from Vaccine Choice Canada. I just want to reach out and express my gratitude to other side of the news. 
for all that you guys are doing to empower humanity and bring us to a higher state of consciousness. Uh, the time that we shared together was a real pleasure, rich conversation, and I know that all of you are uh, higher conscious beings who are uh, part of the solution. I just want to express my gratitude to Kinthia, Timothy, and Aneta, and your program, The Other Side of the News. You guys are great. And welcome back to the other side of the news. Our show tonight is called The Unusual Suspects. And we have with us tonight Howard Lichtman, who's going to uh, fill us in on how his journey began in making peace with peace officers. Howard? Well, and this is kind of fascinating because as I take it from the intro, we all agree that there's something suspicious about the COVID. And this all started with a group of friends who were suspicious about what they were being told by the media and by the government about the COVID. And uh, uh, we got together and decided to, that you know, it didn't really make sense, and we decided to go into the hospitals. And in what the LA Times called the epicenter of COVID in California in early April, when things were supposed to be pandemic conditions, we found on video empty tents, empty waiting rooms. We went through the testing procedure, talked to the guy doing the testing. They didn't have any, they were hardly testing anybody, and they weren't seeing any increase in the usual and customary deaths that they see every single year from seasonal influenzas and pneumonias and COPDs and things like that. And so uh, that fueled us up. And the next week, there weren't 10, there were 20. And the week after that, there were 37. And the week after that, we had 400 people in a Facebook group, and we were regularly turning out 60, 70, 80-plus people at peaceful civil disobedience to the lockdowns mask mandates and to, uh, uh, you know, potentially what, you know, could be mandatory vaccinations or at least, uh, you know, try and get you to do it by not letting you travel and, and other means of coercion through these kind of monopoly companies. And so uh, when we would when we would be out doing civil disobedience, typically we'd be reopening a park or we'd be reopening a beach and the police would come out and the police would say, hey, you know, we don't want to be doing this. We like going to the beach. What do you want us to do? And it struck me that they were in, you know, a tight predicament as well. And they obviously didn't want to be bankrupting local businesses. And a lot of them obviously didn't believe in the covid and so um, I had a little bit of an epiphany, and I said, well, you should get together collectively because I'd watch them get fired one at a time the way Greg Anderson was in Washington State. And so if they stand up one at a time, they get hammered down. And I said, you've got to get together collectively, and you've got to, as a department, draw a thick red line in the sand and just refuse to enforce victimless crimes, and that – is if you're because all if you talk to police they all have a thick red line in the sand that they're not willing to cross. It's generally gun confiscation. Some of them have said publicly that they're not going along with the lockdowns, they're not going along with the mask mandates, they're not going along with Thanksgiving. So 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 the, everybody's got a thick red line somewhere. And so the if you're going to draw a thick red line, 
the logical and moral place is no victim, no crime. And that one tiny change in policing would bring peace to the streets. It would restore respectability to the police. It would save the taxpayers billions. It would break the backs of drug cartels and human traffickers. It would uh, get hundreds of million plus people a year out of jails and being scooped up or being ticketed or being fined, feed, and harassed. And then it would keep hundreds of thousands of people, of largely peaceful people, they get thrown into frequently for-profit prisons for crimes where nobody has been harmed other than the government or the state of California or the state of you know whatever state it is. And mostly these are peaceful people that are being thrown into these for-profit prisons where they're being forced to work at, at you know as essentially slave labor. Um, and so it's just got to stop. And so the way that it stops is the police can collectively refuse to enforce, victimless crimes. And if they're supported by the community, then there's nothing that politicians can do to force them to carry out this tyrannical plan. And so it unites the people with the police against the politicians. It has all of these other benefits for society. And it ha- and we're and we're getting this off the ground at the at the just the perfect time where the police are being asked to do more and more tyrannical things, from the lockdowns to the mask mandates, to the to red flag laws, which is stealth gun confiscation. And so most of the police they didn't sign up when they signed up. They didn't have red flag laws and lockdowns and mask mandates and forced vaccination. And so, uh, so this gives the police a way out, allows them to keep their jobs, restores, gets them focused on real crimes with real victims. It's got so many different positives. I haven't heard anybody give a negative, and so that's what what I'm doing, and that's how we want to help the police. Well, I really congratulate you. I know that in the several of our past shows, I've been putting up links, our collectively links, of sheriffs refusing. To carry out these orders, and I'm, I'm pretty confident they're influenced by you. So I thank you. I mean, our police are in a very strange position. You know, they have families, they they have loved ones, and here they're being asked to do things that are just not right. They're not respecting of human life, and and you know, it's got to be a very deep conflict within them. So you've, you're providing a solution that is so needed. And I'm also glad that you brought up the for-profit prisons. I mean, if that isn't a, a form of slavery, I don't know what is. You know, just raking in the money, and then they have them out there working too, you know, putting out the fires. There are a lot of prisoners that go out and put out fires, so they they work in call centers for some of the some, for Fortune 100 monopoly companies. It's it's you know crony capitalism. It's it's the worst form of crony capitalism and kind of almost like disaster capitalism that you can get. It's you know it's 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 finding people that are breaking politician laws and scooping them up and throwing them into prisons where they're forced to work for monopoly companies. It's unbelievable. Wow. Where do you see this going, Howard? I mean, like right now we're coming up on Christmas and and I know that I'm finding even in my own family, I have one son who's 
planning to get the whole family together. And I have other members, my other son, who's like, oh, no, the COVID. And I have other families that are like, oh, no, we shouldn't travel at this time. So I'm, I'm so curious how people are going to handle the holidays and how the police are going to handle it. It, it seems like really ripe for some kind of change. What do you see coming up with these holidays? Well, I see I see it's the cold and flu season and so I see the media beginning to call every single sniffle and every single, you know, cold and flu covid at the same time that I see these vaccinations coming into the forefront where vaccinations have typically you know, in a, in a significant percentage of people that take vaccinations causes the exact same malady it's supposed to protect it, the, the host from, especially flu shots. And so I find it, you know, odd that we've had, you know, 50 plus years of trying to get the flu shot right. And we, we, they get it wrong almost every single year. They never predict the, the strain that actually, you know, goes global or is, ends up being popular because they have to make the shots before the, you know, the flu season to get it, you know, into the market. And so they never pick the right strain. But somehow we're supposed to believe after 50 plus years of trying that they're going to come in with something that's perfectly safe when – when the entire process and vaccination in general has this, you know, significant percentage of the population that are going to get sick of some kind of sickness that I feel is going to be blamed on the COVID. Exactly. Exactly. Timothy, Annetta, you want to jump in? I would love to jump in. Uh, this is Annetta. Uh, hi, Howard. We're Hi. Hi. Uh, so, I'm adamantly anti-vaccine and pro-science. So I actually, uh, the, one of the things I, I look at, and I don't know if, you know, you're, you're in contact with the police, and how aware are they of things like we have never isolated this virus? So, it, you know, making a, a, vi- uh, a vaccine for a virus that's never been isolated is, well, <laughs> that would be impossible. And then, you know, the, the whole thing we have uh, as far as, the history of flu vaccines and all of the horrible, horrible consequences um, that they try to cover up and all that. But all you have to do is look at uh, our history and past newscasts about, you know, like the swine flu and they had the vaccine. And, you know, it, that was the in, that was the beginning of Guillain Barre syndrome. So what are they, what are you getting from the police officers? Are they aware to this point of what's going on or you know, what's your general consensus with, with, or what's their general consensus, I should say? Well, I'll tell you this. I see a lot of them that obviously don't believe in the COVID because they're not paying attention to these protocols at all when they don't have to be. And so, and there's a lot of people from the governor of California to other high ranking politicians that don't seem to be paying attention to the protocols, except when the cameras aren't rolling or when they're not interacting with the public and everything. And so I think, and I think a lot of them are just as suspicious as everybody, uh, you know, on the show is in what we're being told about the communicability and the lethality of the COVID. 
and um, you know, I it's I, I'm assuming that the 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 police are you know are on a spectrum like the rest of society, and some of them undoubtedly know about all of the evidence of foreknowledge and all the evidence of disaster capitalism, and and uh, and so so I have a feeling that there's you know that there's there's a lot of the police that are you know that are just as distrustful as we are about what we're being told by the monopoly media. So when you look at when you look at history, it's like when when there are revolutions. We all, we know through history uh, when people are are under the the oppression of tyranny, and the people finally the the masses. When I say the people, uh, finally fight back. Uh, there is this point at which the uh, the peace officers, whatever they may be in that country, whatever they may call them join the people in general they do not fight the people because they are the people you know they they aren't separate from they are not the elite they aren't the ruling class they're 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 along with the, the people by doing this do you think that there's any chance that we can possibly avoid a horrible bloody conflict with that if we can get this you know if we can we can unite as people with the police officers do you see that working Oh, absolutely. The only way that tyranny comes to your door is in a uniform wearing a badge. And if the police say they're not going to do it, then it's game over. And so the, you know, the, the powers that shouldn't be and what I'd like to call the organized crime government in Washington, D.C., that is looting the people with, you know, through using government as a technique – I, you know, if the if the police don't go along with it, they're completely impotent. And the and more and more police, I think, as you're seeing, they're saying no to lockdowns. They're saying no to mass mandates. They're saying no to Thanksgiving uh, limits on who can come over for Thanksgiving dinner. And they're saying no to red flag laws and more and more are standing up every single day. And I only see that going in one direction. On the red flag laws, uh, could you give a little bit of history so our listeners, a lot of them I'm sure don't know what a red flag law is. Could you kind of give a little quick capsule of that, what's going on with that in its history? Yeah, sure. So uh, um, everybody in the United States is supposed to have a right to own a firearm under the Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And the government in Washington, D.C. frequently, uh, and also state governments and local governments, they frequently throw the Constitution out the window whenever it serves them. And a red flag law is an instance where state governments say, oh, you have a right to have a gun, but if a relative or a neighbor or a officer or a judge thinks that you might be a danger to yourself and others, well, then we get to come and take away your Second Amendment just until we deem you safe, and then we'll give your guns away. But we get to come in with a SWAT team, which they've done. And the first person – I, you know, I used to live in northern Virginia, and so I, I watched them begin to implement it you know, right across the river in uh, Maryland. And in Maryland, the first person that they served a red flag law notice on – uh, evidently believed that he'd had a Second Amendment and resisted, and they shot him dead. And in a couple of months ago, it was already 300-plus of these red flag law 
uh, warrants, including one for a guy named Dumpkin Limpt, who uh, uh, who was a 20-something libertarian activist that was shot dead in his sleep by a no-knock SWAT team raid, and his pregnant girlfriend was lying in the bed next to him. And so the, the you know a lot of police officers, like I said, they didn't sign up for no-knock SWAT team raids on law-abiding you know, gun owners. And so that's why uh, we think that the, red, the uh, thick red line movement will be quite attractive in giving them a way to say no to things that they've already told their friends and family and neighbors that they're not going to do. So that sounds like very grassroots. I mean, it definitely is. Um, and and I, maybe I'm jumping ahead here because I'm very excited about this idea. I think it's great. And uh, so I'm sure one of the things that's coming up in our listeners' minds right now is like, whoa, how can we start to help this? How can we implement this on our, you know, with as individuals? I mean, I don't personally know any police officers, so I'm asking from like that perspective. Is there something we can do because we're always looking on this show to try to give people ways that they can make progress, uh, they can have a positive outcome. And, and I know that's normally the end of the show. We'll come back around, I'm sure, to that. But is there something you can – Yeah, so what I, what I have been surprised at and one of the reasons that I took this on was because I was amazed at how many people that I knew personally that either had uh, friends – uh, that were police officers or family members that were police officers where, you know, there, there was a tradition of it in the family or for whatever reason, uh, you know, they joined the police force. And I, and I know from firsthand accounts and from people that I know that I, you know, I believe the overwhelming majority of police are good people in a bad system. And when they signed up, they didn't sign up for everything that they're being asked to do today. And so I wanted to help. Uh, my friends and my friends of friends and 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 give them a way out because like I said there, I, I just know and you know almost everybody that I that I know either knows a police officer or is friends you know or is has a family member that's a police officer and so you know I I I want to give these officers a way out of a bad system. Okay, so is there something that? Um, are you just referring them to the website? I mean, is there something where we, I, as a person, I want to get the word out, for example, and what can I do as a as an individual that would allow me to? Is there something I can refer them to? Is there uh, a training? Sir, yes. So, well, so first of all, we are you know we're a new organization. We've only been you know kind of like we we kind of launched about two and a half weeks ago with the with the interview on the Corbett report. And since then, we've been endorsed by uh, G. Edward Griffin. We've been endorsed by um, uh, uh, Anna von Reitz. We've been endorsed Dr. Mercola, uh, public or, or promoted um, uh, our group to to his audience. And we've been kind of overwhelmed, and we've been growing to be able to deal with all of the interests that we're seeing, not just in the United States. But from countries around the world, we've had inbound interest from uh, the UK, Australia, South Africa, um, uh, the Netherlands, uh, Canada, um, and we've I, we've chartered our first international 
chapter that's translating this for the Netherlands into Dutch. And right now we're in the process of shipping out hundreds and hundreds of our handbooks and thousands of our cards for cops to a variety of different events, including this uh, coming up uh, this uh, Sunday, the Unmasked Rally in Philadelphia on Independence Hall. Uh, but we're beginning to talk to uh, sheriffs, police chiefs, elected officials, and popularize this idea and begin to explain the benefits, not just to the police, but to the communities as well. And so right now, anybody that's interested in helping that effort, we're act asking them and helping them with the tools that they need to organize their own community to get their sheriff's office or police department to go thick red line and all going thick red line entails is we've got a real simple pledge that's based off a pledge popularized by the 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 association of police chiefs uh where hundreds of departments have signed on to a similar pledge for mental health uh um uh, improvements in dealing with individuals with mental health. So we kind of patterned our pledge after that. And we essentially asked the offer officers to give up enforcement of victimless crimes. And if you, the folks that we're looking for have the gravitas to be able and go and talk to their own sheriff, talk to their police chief, talk to elected officials, organize their friends and neighbors, get together a petition campaign to show support in the community because if it is the police and the community united together, then there's nothing that the politicians can do. And in some of these departments, they have dozens or hundreds of deputies. And if dozens or hundreds of deputies refuse to enforce victimless crimes, then they can't be fired in mass. They can't be, you know, and, 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 and especially if they're supported by the community, where the community is telling the sheriff, the police chief, and, and frequently elected officials, one of our board of advisor members is a gentleman by the name of Dave Austin, who's a five-time elected alderman for the city of Virginia's Vermont. And he gave us a great quote and he said, you know, I don't want our officers wasting their time on victimless crimes. I want them focused on real crimes with real victims. And so frequently your elected officials are already on the same page. And, and it's, it's just amazing how, how the entire community and the officer's interest line up behind thick red line. That's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, we do have the, for our listeners, we do have the webpage where all of this can be, um, you can access all of this information under uh, Howard's links on the fast links, just as a note there. Uh, so we also, so we're talking about, uh, so we're really, I mean, there's some politicians that are on our side and there's, there's a lot of politicians that aren't. So we're really talking about like when we disable this enforcement arm, then we we really create an impotent politician. This would, I mean, this is what I'm hearing. Yes, is this true? Am I interpreting that Absolutely. right? Absolutely, absolutely. It's only a small percentage of the population that's causing all the trouble, and it's the ones issuing these laws where they're saying, hey, it's a crime to do something that isn't really a crime, where nobody is being harmed. And so, the, you know, it's very easy, you know, for the police to make this small change in policing and just ha kind of have an understanding of what 
natural law is, what natural law rights are. There's a there's a recognition in the community that everybody's got the same rights. That it's impossible for the police to have rights that anybody else doesn't have, you know. And all they have to do is say, "Hey, we're no longer going to use violence on peaceful people." And it's so simple that I mean, all we, we can do the entire training right here on this program. No victim, no crime. If there's not a victim, if nobody's rights are, are have been infringed upon, then the police should not act and they should not use violence on peaceful people just trying to go along their way or, you know, because they're not wearing a seatbelt or because they're, you know, smoking the wrong kind of flower top or whatever it is. They, you know, if there's not a victim, it's not a crime. And if they, if the police don't act, then no violence is committed. That's right. Well, and another thing is, is, you know, a right we have all these rights and we talk about rights and people are kind of nebulous, I think, on this idea. But rights are anything that isn't harming someone else or you have a right as long as it's not a wrong to someone else. So there's only there's only a few wrongs out there. I'm sure you could probably list them right off um, than that than in natural law. Am I putting you on the spot with that idea? <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's really okay. so you, you've struck upon it. And so so there's a th- so if the so obviously morality can't be based on politician laws because just because a politician wrote it down on a piece of paper gets you Jim Crow and fugitive slave laws and Nazi Germany. And so obviously the police cannot use politician law as a yardstick of whether or not something is moral because history is replete with laws that are repugnant to the Constitution, repugnant to natural uh, law, repugnant to liberty. And so you so if they're not going to use politician law, what is the yardstick that they can use? And then we can go and we can find natural law with a thousand plus year legal tradition across all these different you know cultures where there are essentially five wrongs there's murder rape theft extortion and trespass and all of these are obviously wrong and they're obviously a theft of some sort rape is the theft of sexual choice murder is the theft of life theft is theft etc and somebody is obviously wronged and because you have a victim then uh, you, the police should be able to act to protect somebody from having their life stolen or their property stolen. And so uh, in those cases, we want the police to protect us and our lives and our liberty and our property. And because we have these rights inherent in ourselves, we can delegate those to the police and the police can exercise those rights on our behalf. Because we don't have the ability ourselves, the natural law right ourselves, to decide if our neighbor wears a seatbelt or a mask or uh, 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 smokes a, a, a flower top, then you can't delegate a right you don't have yourself to a officer or to an agent or to a representative or to a government to represent you doing something that you don't have the ability to do yourself. Hey, so Howard, the- yes. you're on a roll and we're at a break. So <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> we'll be right back after the break. Thank you.
Richard C. Hoagland here. I'd like you to support The Other Side of Midnight by subscribing to Club 19.5 and thereby joining our unique and growing radio community. Tune in to listen to our fascinating guests, pioneers on the out there edge of science and thought, and gain access to exclusive member benefits. To do this, just visit our website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the navigator bar or in the left-hand column. Membership costs $19.95 per month. That's 33 tetrahedral cents a day. I mean, it's the price of a couple of cups of coffee. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to this show and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed and you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the 19 point archives if you prefer. To enhance your listener experience, a new The Other Side of Midnight podcast is being added to all show pages, which will allow you to instantly search the show archives of Radio with Pictures, thus easily accessing the corresponding show. Plus, you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go. I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. Please continue supporting the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available, talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought, and if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends and continue growing the show by having them subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. And when I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Hoagland, over and out. They are so few, they're in the thousands. We are billions, we are billions of people. They need technology, very advanced technology, to be able to control us. And that is where AI, 5G, comes in. And then through the vaccine, also get rid of two-thirds of us. So it's like a very, very, very dark agenda they want to play out. But I tell you, the way I see the future, oh my God, fantastic. Oh, like my mom said, fan-bloody-tastic. Hi, this is Ola Damagod from LightOnConspiracies.com. You know, over the years I've done some 500 to 1,000 international interviews, and I just want to say the other side of the news is one of my favorite shows. So enjoy. Welcome back. You're listening to the other side of the news, and our show this evening is The Unusual Suspects. I am Timothy Saunders. And Kintia and Annette Driscoll are my co-hosts on this show. And our guest is Howard Lichtman. Annette, I think you were just in mid-flow uh, with Howard with a, a question-answer. Would you like to continue? Yes. Well, I think Howard was, was in the flow there. He was, he was on a roll. <laughs> so we were talking about the natural law. And 
And you were giving a great explanation that really sums up that, you know, none of us are doing anything that's a criminal activity unless it harms someone, which brings to my mind, well, who's who's being harmed here? And I would say, I would assert, I would assert that the politicians are creating great harm in the collateral damage uh, that's being caused by all of the lockdowns, all of the uh, draconian enforcements of these the, of the political laws that are that are being brought against us. So this, that's not a victimless crime, by the way. So maybe we need to, to turn it a, around. Uh, but I also wanted to bring up, you, you mentioned um, Anna Von Wrights, and, and I will put this in my links after the show. Uh, I'll put in the Vernon Coleman uh, PDF again, and also this one, which is about, it's just a little article, it's real short, uh, about the Nuremberg Code restrictions uh, on forced medical procedures. Uh, people should know that when politicians get completely out of control and they have to have, they have to, you know, have their reprimand, which is what the Nuremberg trials were about, and all the consequences that came out of that. So we have a situation not unlike what we had in, in, in Nazi Germany, uh, and that's why that was specific to the Nuremberg Code, because there were atrocities, on the, especially in the medical arena, uh, that were brought against the people, especially the Jews in the concentration camps. Uh, so it was not only genocide, but there were horrible medical procedures done, not unlike these vaccines. So I just wanted to get that in there uh, about before we totally pass along, pass past this idea of the natural law. Uh, so with the natural law idea, uh, Howard, um, and the morality, um, how do you, how are you presenting this? I mean, and, and speaking with police officers, how are they feeling about that idea of the the damage that's being caused. I mean, if, if a crime is not a crime until there's damage, but we already know that there's damage from the other side that's enforcing this. What's what's their feeling on that? Do you have that? So I know a lot of them know exactly the moral dilemma of victimless crimes because they're speaking out through an organization called uh, the Law Enforcement Action Partnership. And the Law Enforcement Action Partnership is a group of either current serving or retired police officers, sheriffs, judges, prosecutors that are uh, speaking out publicly against a wide variety of victimless crimes ranging from um, prohibition to at civil asset forfeiture to stop and frisk and to you know to both the policies that are creating this this uh, strife in society. And so I already know that there are honest police officers out there that are already publicly saying, hey, this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. And so we want to help amplify their voices. And we want that uh, – we want to see that – you know, we want to see that that viewpoint more covered you know, by the media because I think if people knew that there were – that the police officers – and it wasn't just police officers, but it's judges and prosecutors that are also against – victimless crimes, I think that, uh, that that would move the needle on community support as well. That's excellent. I did not know that, that they had gotten together. So what was that organization again for our listeners? It's called the Law Enforcement Action Partnership. It used to be called Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Uh, and they've been they've been around I want to say for you know over a decade and they've got some very respected 
you know, high-ranking police chiefs, sheriffs, prosecutors, judges, and they they pull no punches in uh, in in exposing the criminality and and immorality of some of these victimless crimes. Excellent. So I'm I'm sure we'll get that one up under your show items. So, so if people want to refer to that website, um, they can they can look up that organization. So I would love to bring Timothy on because he always has these great questions. So, Timothy, are you there? I have a lot to live up to now. Thanks for that. <laughs> well, you, you've actually been asking a few of the questions I was hopefully going to ask Howard, but uh, you you have you know already covered a lot of the ground, so I'm delighted and I was very happy to listen. Uh, Howard, may I ask you this you know, this is a very something very new that you're doing, and I, I'm I, I'm very excited by it in a positive way. Um, but this year has been a very rough year on the police and and what the police force stands for, and and the perception of the police in the public eye. I mean, first of all, not so very long after this uh, COVID business started, um, we had the, the the George Floyd business. Would you like to comment? on what you think that was all about? Uh, well, it's it's got stoked up in what looked to me like traditional divide and conquer. But the the um, but the anger against police atrocities is very, very real. And one of the things that really you know drives what we do because in the overwhelming majority of cases where there is civil uh, division and racial hostilities, um, the, I would say the majority of them are driven by selective enforcement or general enforcement of these victimless crimes. Um, whether that is um, selling loose cigarettes on the street of, uh, streets of New York like Eric Garner was, you know, became a, a you know, a, a subject of, of police action because of a victimless crime or whether it, uh, or whether the, you know, the recent murder in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, which was a no knock SWAT team raid related to drug prohibition, the riots and the, you know, the damages, the civil pain, the civil judgments, these have to outweigh Anything, any positive good that comes from prohibition when you end up having riots and, uh, uh, you know, multi-million dollar civil judgments and police officers being shot in their patrol cars in, you know, in, in anger from the community. And so, you know, if there are policies that are causing racial and societal division, the fastest, you know, the, the number one thing you, you could do is end the policies that are causing the racial and societal division. And we think that, you know, while it's not going to, you know, improve every single case, uh, it's going to, it's going to get rid of the overwhelming majority of incidents where police uh, interact, you know, seek interactions with the public in, in unfortunately cases where there is a financial incentive to uh, to you know write a ticket or to uh, do some kind of enforcement action, and so we want to get rid of those so that the only interactions with the public is to protect life, liberty, and property. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Well, I guess I was aiming a little bit more um, nearer to the the vein. Uh, I mean, in terms of this, what we've seen over the last few months, in my opinion, has been um, just headline after headline of half-truths, lies, and worse. And I... I have to say, I, I really do question if this whole event with uh, George Floyd was actually totally authentic. Um, there were a lot of questions that came up afterwards, a lot of people with a lot of theories. You know, I, but the, the net result was that this event appeared to occur and it caused a huge momentum of... Um, dis-ease amongst amongst the people and not just in america but a, a wave that went around the world there were photographs and videos and uh, all sorts of hearsay whereby you know uh, police were seen or videoed with people's telephones um, unloading bricks you know conveniently being piled up on street corners just before protests and later riots broke out um, I, I just really was referring to that side of the the line, and I wondered if you had anything you know, to say about that. I mean, having spoken with um, obviously a large number of police officers during this difficult year. Well, I, I tell you, I've seen the exact same media manipulation and the exact same governmental manipulation that that I think that you're identifying and that, you know, I've been at rallies with thousands and thousands. I've spoken. I spoke at the, on the steps of the Sacramento, of the state capital of California in Sacramento to a crowd of 3,000 people. And the only people wearing masks were the media and the police and the police were being forced to wear them. And so, you know, I've, I've seen them. Uh, uh, I've seen how the media can twist the events and I'm shocked and dismayed that anybody gives the media any credence whatsoever, given the shocking track record of the media in being caught in multiple large-scale deceptions. Um, and you know, video after video showing the ability for moneyed interests to make the media say whatever – you want them to say, and everybody has seen the videos of all of the local news anchors being told what to say in lockstep. And once you've seen that over and over and over again, I don't understand why anybody would believe anything that the government or the media tells them about what is going on about anything, much less COVID and you know and and a pandemic that is obviously not a pandemic because there's nobody in the hospitals and there hasn't been anybody in the hospitals in any great number the entire time despite what the media and the government told us was going to happen it didn't happen and so why anybody believes anything that the government and the media says about anything is beyond me that's a that's a fascinating point which i'd like to come back to actually but just to, to digress slightly into a different country i mean one of the things we saw in again in alternative media maybe certainly not a mainstream media was the apparent brutality that has come sort of in everyday use by the police in australia for example and 
again, I'm, I'm not looking to point fingers at this point, but I'm just saying that this is a viewpoint that has been created and put out there. Uh, I'm just wondering if, if any of your conversations with perhaps you know, police forces around the world have can bring back sort of more truth than, than what we're seeing. I mean, is it as we see on CNN or is it as we see through the alternative media where uh, I think actually there was one one particular incident where there was an Australian woman walking down the street without a mask. Apparently she turned out to be exempt. Uh, she wasn't given an opportunity by the police officer, a tall man with uh, sort of shaven head. Uh, and he, she was basically brutally wrestled down to the ground, handcuffed and uh, never given the opportunity to to be asked if she was exempt or not. Now that, that event in itself was, you know, something we've seen again posted and posted it went viral uh so that that was a different pandemic um but the what was very interesting was that not so long afterwards there was a house arrest made also in australia and the same the very same tall police officer with shaven head was in that video as well now i have to say i really do wonder if these videos have been created by uh, an entity, perhaps even the government itself, in order to sort of bring fear or to, or to publicize, you know, this is what's going to happen if you go and protest in Australia, this is going to happen to you. Look, you know, is, is it to up their fear? Is it just pure coincidence? The same police officer happened to be in these two viral events. Do you have any thoughts about that, Howard? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the government and the media have been caught conspiring so many times to engineer reality in this country and in other countries i mean it was it's it goes back to 1976 the church committee you know hearings where it came out and you know in 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 the hearings and you know among senators and congress and congressmen that the cia had hundreds and hundreds of journalists on the payroll and, and, and editorships and reporterships and producers, et cetera, and that they were creating their own reality with the news. And so that goes that goes back to nineteen seventy six. And so I think we've we they've been caught enough, whether it's the Gulf of Tonkin incident where they where it's, you know, public record, you know, that they started a war based on lies and manufactured events and, you know, uh, to keep to to accelerate a war. To uh, the how they sold us the tarp, the tolf, the bailouts. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm of the opinion that the COVID is the manufactured, engineered reason to hand you know private banks, private companies trillions of dollars in bailouts and quote unquote stimulus. I mean, I, like it, it, that's what it smells like to me that this is an engineered event, and then that's why you have evidence of foreknowledge, and that's why you have evidence of disaster capitalism, and so it smells just like another manufactured media event. I think that the more we see, the more we see back in time as well. I, I think that uh, you know some people have made the comment that. You know, it, this is nothing new. This has been, this is a, a you know, a, a rework of what happened, sort of at the crisis, the financial crisis at the end of 2008. And the, uh, also there was a, I think it was an H1N1 was, was the, uh, 
the sort of the, the virus of the day at that time. It was, it was, you know, if you look 10 years before that, you know, there was 9-11 and also the anthrax uh, threat. It, it's kind of, okay, perhaps, you know, people may say, oh, but that's completely different places, completely different conditions. But I mean, there are tools used, constructed, photoshopped, video edited, you know, to create or hone perception on a mass level to to completely change the feeling, uh, completely change the lifestyle of millions of people around the world, and also to usher in, you know, emergency laws which have enabled what I call the minority uh, to gain more power and us, the majority. Um, you know, if, if we are caught off guard or half asleep, then a lot of people have given their power away. And I think that that's something which is very important to remember for everybody is that we wake every up every morning with power. And it's only when we get caught off guard or forget or get conned that we actually give that power away. So it's not like we, you know, have something to find. We, we wake up with it every day. And that's why I say that everybody has a choice about the mask, about the distancing, about the uh, vaccination and so on. But, um, but I just want to—I want to reiterate that you know that this is that that uh, that trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars are being handed to private banks and private companies through the bailouts and the stimulus, and this these trillions of dollars, um, if if you were to manufacture an epidemic. And the media was selling it to the population the same way they sold soap flakes. And you were to say, who's the number one suspects in creating an engineered, manufactured pandemic and lying to the population about the communicability and the lethality of the, this disease? The number one suspects are the people that are using the COVID as the reason why they now get to hand trillions of dollars to private banks and private companies because of this event that nobody could have foreseen, but which massive evidence exists for foreknowledge and organizations and people personally profiting that have evidence of foreknowledge. And so uh, I think, as many others do, I think we're looking at a crime scene here. I think we're we're looking at people that manufactured and engineered a reason to hand themselves trillions of dollars, and now the average American is starting to see the theft of their purchasing power as prices go up because of the devalued dollar that you get when you create trillions of them out of thin air. And so now Americans are starting to see uh, and start to feel – in their purchasing power, it's loss as these trillions of dollars begin to compete for a scarce amount of goods and services and bid up prices. And that's the real theft here, in my opinion. Indeed, indeed. Anessa, I believe you have uh, a point you'd like to put forward. Yes. Uh, well, I was, I was thinking about this whole thing with this manufactured, uh, it's a hoax, uh, this, this virus. I mean, people talk about it as if it's real. Well, you know, it's a real virus in that 
something does exist, but is it new? Is it what they're saying? Absolutely not, all the evidence. But they've taken it as far as, I think that everyone knows what the, quote, coronavirus looks like. However, it's an amazing thing because it's never been isolated. So how do they know what it looks like? I don't know how they know what it looks like. I mean, they've created something that's so real in people's minds um, if we did some, this is, this is like calling fire in a, in a theater. I mean, this is extremely damaging. People are, are damaged in so many ways that yes, their value, their dollar is devalued. Of course they want that. That's, you know, it's fiat currency anyway. So there's no, there's nothing to hold it there. But, uh, you know, people always profit during these horrible things too, but it's not, it's not the people, not the masses that profit. And, so I think this is all true, and, and it's just it's just what I'm saying. The point I'm trying to make here is that it's so manufactured that they've even created their own graphics and created an image of something that doesn't even exist. And uh, so this whole this whole thing that we're dealing with with the people believing it, police police officers I think have a little bit different view. The sheriffs have a little bit different view because they can actually. They, are, they had access from the beginning of being able to go into a hospital or something like that, and there was no one there. They knew that. Yep. They've yep. known from the very beginning. And so is there, a way, uh, is there a way to – I mean, I think that's a great credibility thing. They have the credibility. They say, hey, you know, we know better. right? Is there a way we can get this out to the people without the peace officers all losing their positions? Uh, without a doubt, and I mean, I think we're doing it. So, I mean, I think we're getting this out to 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 uh, to the police and to community, you know, to the community and to elected officials, and you know, and and so I I think we're all moving the ball. And I I mean, I actually think that this is going to be exposed, and that people are just going to just kind of turn off the monopoly controlled mainstream you know, media and more and more people are going to get their news from self-selected authentic voices on the self-selected internet. And that's why you're seeing the alternative media censored on uh, FedBook, I mean, Facebook and other, you know, control of perception platforms. But, uh, you know, um, I, I, I see so many programs like your own and so many, you know, uh, um, uh, flowers blooming that I think that, you know, ultimately there's so many people that are that are coming to the exact same conclusion and they're all creating their own media that we're slowly and surely overtaking and going to uh, overpower the small handful of companies running hundreds and hundreds of subsidiaries. But really, once you figure out that they're lying to you and, and, and you understand how the magician does the trick, then you don't tend to get fooled by the trick again. And once people realize that the media and the government are working together to sell them you know, vaccines they don't need off manufactured, invented envi- you know, viruses that they created themselves, that I think people are going to turn it off. I think they're going to move to alternative uh, news sources, and I think that this is all going to you know, widely become exposed, and people are just going to just – they're just going to ignore these mask mandates and sheriffs aren't going to, you know, aren't going to enforce and we're all going to go back to normal. Um, it might take, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, but like, I think we're slowly and surely winning the information war. Well, that's, that's promising. I mean, I, my, my big concern at this point is, is that there are people that are policing other people, individuals, not even the police policing, but 
people, like as in everyday individuals, uh, you know, being shamed for not wearing a mask. I'm one of those that will not put the mask on. And so, you know, I've, I've encountered lots of negative <laughs> response to that and some positive, you know, I, I, I think, you know, each one of us, uh, if we can talk to people on an individual basis, understand where they're coming from, ask provoking questions, thought provoking questions to cause that cognitive dissonance. This is how we make progress. And some days I feel like, oh, we're not making any. But, you know, every day, like today I had a conversation with someone and they really started to turn the corner. And every time one of those conversations happens, I think, okay, we're, we're getting there. We're, we're, we're moving that way. And um, I'm really happy to hear that your thing is moving so quickly. And it, it seems like it's a really great idea because it, it affects so many people at the same time, like whole police forces, which or whole, whole, whole counties, you know, with their sheriffs and things. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm so thrilled with what you're saying. <laughs> and I wish people would look more at history and see that this has all been done before. This is all, all the brainwashing and all of the things that we're seeing. We have examples of it. We have, we have previous vaccines. And guess what? I'm getting the message that we're at break again. It seems to be my thing. So <laughs> we'll come back after break. <laughs> of the news my name is Christopher James and I just wanted to give my full support to these wonderful people who are bringing incredible light forward at this time and moment in our world the truth has never been more important and I was incredibly blessed to be with them and share with them enormous truths on our very first interview and I'm looking forward to coming back and seeing our world finally coming together under one hood under one understanding that there's truly only one of us and that there's only love that matters in this world and this one truth is going to save our world and I'm so blessed to be able to bring this forward and share this light with my fellow man and woman from this show this evening. So support them all you can moving forward. They're an incredible bunch of people. And Godspeed. The other side of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com.
side of the news. Our guest tonight is Howard Lichtman. Co-hosts are Annetta Driscoll, Timothy Saunders, and myself, Kinthea. The show is called The Unusual Suspects. And Howard, I'm really curious to ask you a question because you are very much on the front line at that tipping point. And I'm, you know, I've been very concerned for people who have been buying the story, buying the narrative, and then suddenly they're finding, oh, maybe it's not that. And like, like you, like Timothy was mentioning or someone was, oh, no, I was listening to a podcast. Sorry. <laughs> you know, if the election goes a certain way, either party is going to say, oh, you know, that they're, uh, it's a coup. Uh, it's an uh, electoral coup. So I'm wondering, being on the front line as you are, I imagine that you're meeting people that are right at that razor edge. And what are you picking up about their feelings of being betrayed and how they're handling it? And also, are you having any sense of timeline, how you see this unfolding. I'm just so curious because you're out in the field. We're, you know, I'm in my home, but you're out in the field. So (laughs) I'd like to see the world through your eyes. Well, I'll tell you this, because we've already started talking. So really, like I said, we really only launched about three weeks ago. And I've only had kind of deep personal conversations with a small handful of, of, sheriffs, uh, officers, deputies, but the overwhelming, besides kind of, you know, in the early stages where we were acting, when we were acting, interacting with dozens that would come out and, and try and, you know, stop our peaceful civil disobedience. But since this launched, I've only got a small handful of folks, but what I've been impressed by is that, you know, I've talked to a sheriff in Colorado that is, I want to say is 95%, you know, with us on the overwhelming majority of the issues and, and isn't to a degree, I mean, not a hundred percent, you know, ignoring victimless crimes, but is already ignoring a wide, you know, variety of victimless crimes in his own jurisdiction. I've talked to deputies that have that have kind of given me the inside scoop on, you know, what we need to do to get this, you know, done between, you know, among, you know, uh, 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 the individual officers, you know, how it how it needs to be communicated to them and given me tips like it's easier to get the sheriff on board than the police chief on board. I mean, that these were these were officers that were giving us, you know, uh, tips on on how to get this done internally within their departments. And so, you know, I mentioned the case of, of you know, one of our board of advisor members is, is uh, Dave Austin, who's a elected, five-time elected, um, you know, uh, council member that says we want our, you know, that uh, uh, alderman that says we want our officers focused on, uh, you know, real crimes with real victims, not wasting their time on victimless crimes. And so what I'm seeing is I'm seeing – you know, across the board, whether it's, you know, elected officials, whether it's officers, whether it's the sheriff, there I'm seeing wide consensus that, you know, that that people have been helping us. And so I haven't gone to, you know, anybody yet that hasn't been, you know, somewhat helpful and, and you know, telling me how it's, you know, how it should be phrased in their department or what I need to think about or something like that. So that's been that's been uh, um, heartening. 
Very encouraging. Very encouraging. Uh, you know, I mean, they, in a sense, are, are uh, we expect them to be our protection, not, not, our, not our enslavers. So I really appreciate that you're turning them, you're offering them a window of action that they can take and foc- focusing it, you know, focusing it. It's beautiful to behold. Yeah, and also, you know, the other thing I would say is that I, I think we're doing a good job of educating them because the other thing that I've noticed is while some of them, you know, realize and understand the the immorality of victimless crimes and, you know, I gave the example they're already organized into the law enforcement action partnership and there's judges and district attorneys and officers and sheriffs and deputies and police chiefs. Um, uh, uh, also... Um, uh, there are officers that don't know anything about, don't really understand at all victimless crimes. I mean, they've just never really thought about it. They've never thought about, you know, what is the difference between enforcing a good law and a bad law? And so mm-hmm. we really, you know, one of the things that I'm excited to do is to help these officers understand that, hey, there is, you know, m- morality. It is black and white. And if there's not a victim, you know, it's not a crime. And when you guys use violence on peaceful people, you know, to enforce the will of politicians or bureaucrats, you guys become the criminals. And they've never, they've just never thought about it, you know. And I think once, you know, once they kind of understand the uh, the the basics of morality and natural law and what makes a good law, you know, and a bad law, you know, um, I, I, you know, I think that the overwhelming majority of them are going to do the right thing. Hmm. Hmm. I imagine it is quite a shock if they've never thought about it. Um, yes, I know that I've had um, meetings with police officers when my when my boys were growing up. There were always things going on, and I found them actually to be very helpful. They weren't. I found them to be helpful. So it's it's for me now to see the the kind of. Uh, conflict between the people and the police it's just it's personally to me it's very shocking that's not to say there aren't the bad cops there's the good cops and the bad cops of course there are Mm. but it seems like that gray zone a lot of the good cops have been sucked into being bad cops and i love that you're waking them up it must be pretty embarrassing when they realize what they're doing uh, and they, you know, like I said, they, they, when they signed up, they weren't being asked to do these things. So they came along incrementally and mm-hmm. now it's really getting bad. And so, you know, I think now it's time for the pendulum to swing the other way a bit. Absolutely. Uh, Timothy, did you want to jump in? Yeah, I, I think I have something which can dovetail quite nicely into the foundation you've made there. When I cast my mind back, I grew up in the United Kingdom and, you know, at that time through my childhood, my school and so on, you know, the police were seen as, you know, positive ambassadors to be on the street, people to trust, people to ask, you know, to be helpful, people to serve the people. Uh, in in a very positive way, uh, if there was, you know, somebody saw a policeman, then they would be, you know, sort of 
not feeling relaxed because there's, there's uh, somebody to help, somebody to, to guide if, if, if the need arose. And I just think that how far the whole perception of the police has come in, in not such a long time, really. Uh, obviously, as I said earlier, this has been a pretty rough year uh, in terms of the perception of the police. They must be having a very difficult time. And it, naturally, you know, perhaps in, in times of extreme stress and uh, confusion in, in events, and I've, I've seen video only this week of sort of, you know, protests going violent. I don't know who made the first move, whether it was the police or it was the the public. But in Paris, things sort of came out of hand in, in Spain. I mean, all these things you don't see on television very much. Uh, you have to look on independent uh, media stations, but there's an awful lot going on uh, in cities all over the world and protests. And, you know, frankly, the, in, the police are hugely outnumbered and they had to go from a, a sort of a combative sort of attack mode into a, a, an absolute defense mode. And you could see that their, their spirit was broken by thousands of people who are frustrated and, and you can understand when there are two sides to every tale, you know, that the, the public have had enough of this COVID bullshit. Um, and the police, they're, they're really in a difficult position because they have to be seen, like you, you said, Howard, they have to be seen to be wearing a mask. Otherwise, they'll be hypocrites themselves. Uh, they have to be dressed up and protected in, in a way. Otherwise, they'll be hypocrites again. And yet they still have to perform the task of defending the will of the government. Um, but I think it's very interesting to highlight uh, the oath. Okay, that was a, a UK oath I read out earlier, um, which said that really they, they serve the Queen, which I thought was interesting, and also uphold the, the you know, human rights of the people, okay, among other, other words. But it seems that these days the government have tapped into this. And uh, I think that when we see the hostility towards the police from the public's perception, then it is simply a reflection of what the government are trying to push the police to do. I think that I want to your... agree with you. I want to agree with you 100%. And I think you nailed it on the head when you said, first of all, the police did not used to be this way and they were viewed by the public overwhelmingly positively and when i grew up in fort worth texas in the in the you know mid to late 1980s uh you know we were constantly pulled over by the police for drinking or for you know uh drag racing or for doing something we shouldn't be doing Sounds and overwhelming they it was it was a lot of fun uh and they would let us go and you know we got to know them by name and they would joke around with us about what we were out doing at night or whatever but they realized that we weren't really causing any harm and even though we might have been drinking or we might have been you know racing or we might have been doing something that we shouldn't have been doing you know they weren't they weren't charging us with $10,000 DUIs. And I look at a friend of mine, a beautiful young woman uh, that is in her early 30s. And in her early 20s, she got two different DUIs, one of which she was actually pulled over on the side of the road. 
and uh, and it's realized that she didn't, you know, hadn't t- too much to drink, was not driving, but because her key was in the ignition when the officer knocked on the window to investigate why she was pulled over on the side of the road, he gave her a ten thousand dollar. DUI and the other one, she was at the absolute minimum limit. You know, it had kind of like one drink, two drinks over whatever time, but wasn't, you know, it was right 0.08. That's $20,000 that ruined her life. And so that's part of the reason why people detest the police is that, is that there is now, uh, you know, a robbing and a mulcting of the population for $10,000 DUIs and $175 tow charges and $150 a day impound fees and not having this sticker or that sticker or, you know, I mean, there is, you know, it is a predatory, confiscatory taxation policy in many, many, you know, jurisdictions and many different, you know, especially in the cities. And the and and the people are justifiably upset in a way that wasn't, you know, when I grew up. And so, I mean, I, I agree with you completely. The the thing that has changed is that the politicians are using the police to raise revenue on the population, and to, and to and and the police and the population is getting more is getting ticked. <laughs> I mean, they're they're they've had it. They've had enough of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And absolutely, it's not just UK or America. I've lived in a number of countries of, of, of my length of my career. Uh, I was living in France at one point, and I always had the perception that the French police were sort of more strict than perhaps other the police in other uh, countries. And also, I think that was probably the first country I lived in where the police were actually armed because I grew up in the UK with police that were absolutely unarmed. And, uh, okay, that's another whole conversation. But the point is that life did go on quite well without the police needing to be armed. I mean, now they're all armed. They all look like uh, something out of some science fiction movie. But that is also another reflection of the times. If the police walk into... uh, a room, an environment, a public square, whatever it is, and they're dressed like they're just about to go into some sort of starship troopers battle and take out some huge oversized uh, predatory sort of uh, alien creatures, then sure, it, it, it says something. It, it changes the atmosphere. And of course, the public have used what they can to to compensate. And then in return, the police do what they can to compensate again, which is to basically write tickets and scare the living hell out of people i mean it, it it's or try to but or this is rob changing the, or rob the population and i'm going to just tell one more story because sure. i used to live in loudon county virginia the the wealthiest county in the united states and in my county there was a kind of well-known somewhat too well-known poker game that had a $20,000 buy-in and it was doctors and lawyers and it was all above board and and uh, but because they would regularly have kind of the world experts at poker you know the guys you see on TV sit in on the games and it was high stakes it got to be you know kind of well known and the Fairfax County SWAT team comes in with their M4s and AR15s and body armor and everything and and breaks into the house and then points guns at everybody and robs them and keeps 40% of the money 
in asset forfeiture. And like, wow. who is the criminal and who is the, you know, who, who is the victim and who is the criminal in this, in, you know, in this case. And this is after the Fairfax County, only a couple of years after the Fairfax County SWAT team was used where a detective in Fairfax County befriended a guy at a bar and got him to begin betting on football games. And after they got him up to the magic number, which I think was like $2,000 in bets to where it was a felony and they could execute a warrant, they go after an optometrist with no previous criminal record. And as the, as the, as the Fairfax County SWAT team pulls up to the guy's house, the first guy out of the SUV stumbles and shoots the optometrist stone cold dead in a complete accident serving a warrant that didn't need to be served for a victimless crime of betting on football. And here they are a couple of years later going into people's houses with drawn guns for a poker game and then stealing 40% of the money. It's unbelievable what's going on in this country and it's got to stop. It is absolutely got to stop. And I, I think that the, the way that you're suggesting is, is a wonderful way. I mean, just to go back to finish my, my, my French story. I mean, uh, again, it, it's nothing in comparison to what you just said, but I would like to rewind the clock and sort of defuse the situation. I mean, I, I'd been out to dinner with a friend of mine. I was driving back. I had a, a car with a British number plate in France and the car behind me sort of was a police car. I didn't realize, but it, it sort of, you know, gave its lights a whirl and uh, pulled me over. And the guy said, uh, so, you know, do you have any ID? I said, yes. And uh, he said, have you been drinking? I said, well, actually, yeah, because at that time and that mentality, the police were kind of your friend. They were kind of a trusted entity, a respectable entity. And he said, oh, where have you been? I said, I've been to this uh, this restaurant there. He said, oh, is it uh, called Chez Louis, whatever it is? I said, yeah, absolutely. So it's really good there. I, I really like this and that. And the guy's very good and nice atmosphere and blah, blah, blah. He said, you know what, you know, just watch what you're doing, take it easy and uh, keep an eye on your speed and uh, get home safely. And that is the kind of interaction that used to be between police and the public. And that is where we need to go. I mean, you can't jump there in five minutes. I appreciate. But I think your way, your methodology methodology, and what, what you know, your, your card, your, your charter, all of these are going to be tools that are going to enable the police to regain their their independence and be perceived completely differently and actually to become you know heroes once more i noticed that word you used in the james Bort corbett interview but it's absolutely true instead of uh you know being irritated and uh worse like your friend with the uh, ten thousand dollar ticket um you know the police should be given an opportunity to to choose that side to get a step out of this tyranny and they can and that is really the you know that is already happening like i said there's already sheriffs there's already police chiefs 
that are already saying we're not going to go along with this. And so I, I see this already happening. I see this as the natural evolution of, okay, if we're going to draw a thick red line, which they're already drawing, where does it need to be logically? Where does it need to be morally? And there's really only one place that it can be drawn logically and morally, and that is no victim, no crime. And then you don't need to really retrain the police. You don't need any classes, any more classes. You don't need more training. You know, all you need to do is have just a department-wide understanding that we're no longer going to use violence on peaceful people. We're no longer going to enforce victimless crimes. If there's not a victim, there's not a crime. If there's nobody's rights were, in, in, you know, violated, then there is no reason to be kidnapping people and charging them money and extorting money out of them and raising revenue on the community that is paying your salary. And so, uh, so I think that it's, you know, we're, we're just helping facilitate a conversation that's already going along, that was already happening, and we're just going to make it go faster and we're going to turn it up to 11. Fantastic. Anetta, Kintia, would you like to come in and uh, bring any points to the table? I can't believe this show is coming to an end. Well, I love the idea of the... Uh of stopping the taxation through citation. I think all of us, I certainly have stories of ridiculous uh, fines that are imposed. I mean, I, I had a parking ticket imposed on me. It was in the city of San Francisco. It was $1,069. And I had not left contact with the car. And they were literally lying in wait. And it was a completely, you know, I I've, I've, I've still haven't paid it because I'm still fighting the ticket because it was completely bogus. I mean, I didn't do anything wrong. I never even, and even if it was the wrong place to park the car, I never left the car. And I said, well, I haven't parked yet. I haven't even left the car. And they wrote it anyway. And it was like, this is not a good use of police at all. And they knew it too. I mean, they, they were actually sheepish, embarrassed. You know, because I I'm one to speak up, and and uh, they they were totally embarrassed. You could tell they didn't want to be doing this. So um, I I wish that you know that 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 was then, and this is now. But uh, you know, I I really I'm really uh, hopeful. I think this is very positive, and I love this idea, and I think it it can move faster than a lot of the other things. I mean, not that they aren't all good to try all these different things, but this is one of the most uh, biggest mass movers. So I love this idea. And I thank you so much for bringing this forward and, and uh, helping a lot of people see this. This is, this is great. So what do you say, Kinthea? I just want to add that I cannot commend you enough for the action you're taking. In a sense, you've uh, made the enemy not to be an enemy. I mean, because a lot of people do regard the enemy, uh, the police as the enemy now. And and you've taken the high road and you've created a path where they can, they can mobilize and take action. So kudos to you. It's good for all of us. And I can't wait to see how this movement will grow, not only across America, but around the world, around the world. We need it because humanity at heart has a conscience. We do. We have a conscience. And I can't believe that anyone would knowingly want to hurt someone unless they are just totally unconscious. 
and I mean morally unconscious, and totally brainwashed. So thank you so much, Howard. Great work. Great work. Well, thank you guys for popularizing it. And so, I mean, that's how this is going to spread is that, you know, is, is folks like you give, give the idea, the attention that it deserves. And I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to address your audience and tell them about Thick Red Line. Well, you're most welcome. And I want to remind people that they can get to the, uh, they can, get to your website through the FastLinks uh, and also the other organization, the Law Enforcement Action Partnership, if they'd like to look into more of that also is listed. So tonight we've been talking about everything from victimless, victimless crimes to, um, you know, the how to make politicians impotent. I love that idea. So, <laughs> you, you know... know. I thought that was just coming to me. I'm sorry, Annette, but I thought that was just coming to me was that maybe it would be useful for the audience also to email and write the law enforcement agency to let them know we're behind them on that that website. Absolutely. They can start a they can start a petition, an online petition, begin circulating it in within their community, requesting that their sheriff's office or their police department go thick red line and letting them know that the community stands behind the officers and, you know, and says, hey, we don't want you enforcing victimless crimes and we don't want you raising revenue on our friends and neighbors. And if it's the people and the police uh, united with community support, and there's nothing the politicians can force them to do it. They win. That's great. That's, That's great. I love it win. when we can take action. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a win-win-win. Lately, those have been a little bit rare. And so thank you for bringing a super positive message and, and also a way that people can take action and make a really big difference. Thank you so much. And you have been listening to The Other Side of the News. Our guest tonight has been Howard Lichtman. This show has been called The Unusual Suspects. And we look forward to bringing you more of Howard's updates in the future. Thank you all. Have a wonderful night. Thank you very much, Howard. And uh, we look forward to bringing you another show next Friday. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.